crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of experts to help all writers incorporate more authentic cops, crime, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, Joshua Hood steps into the interrogation room to clear up a few things about his experience, his craft, and his writing. Josh is the author of Warning Order and Clear by Fire. He graduated from the University of Memphis before joining the military and spending five years with the 82nd Airborne Division. He was a parachute infantry regiment team leader in Iraq from 2005 to 6. In the following two years, in 07 and 08, served as a squad leader in Afghanistan, for which he was decorated for valor in Operation Furious Pursuit. On his return to civilian life, he became a sniper team leader and a full-time SWAT team in Memphis, where he was awarded the Lifesaving Medal. Josh previously worked as the Director of Veteran Outreach for the American Warrior Initiative, and he's currently a full-time writer. Josh's latest release is called The Treadstone Resurrection, and it continues Robert Ludlum's Treadstone and Jason Bourne universe. This is the first novel and explosive new series that draws inspiration from the original books while introducing an unforgettable new hero, Adam Hayes, who's both emotionally complex, much like the Bourne predecessor. I've been reading the the Treadstone Resurrection for only, um, man, about a day and a half in between all my my academic studies right now. But this book just so quickly and absolutely sucks me in every time that I pick it up. It's really hard to go back to my history books, man. For somebody that doesn't have an advanced copy of this, what do you want them to know about the Treadstone Resurrection? Well, uh, first off, you know, it was such an honor to be allowed to, uh, you know, work in – Robert Ludlum's sandbox. Uh, mm-hmm. He was an inspiration, uh, you know, as a writer for me. I'd read uh, obviously all the Bourne books before the movies came out, and I've seen all the the movies. So you know, being able to you know write add to this wonderful universe and the you know the estate and the editors at uh, Penguin trusting me with it is uh, is very humbling. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, I wanted to uh, take as much of what he uh, had written down and uh, build on it, obviously, because there's not a whole lot about Treadstone, but uh, I have kind of a motto that I've used uh, in writing, and it's, you know, all killer, no filler, mm-hmm. and that's what I wanted to do with the book. I wanted, uh, you know, kind of a, I like, I like to write books that I would read, and so I like fast-paced books that, you know, keep me hooked and have a lot of action in it, and that's what I try to do with this one. I just wanted to put the pedal down and see how long I could max it out without blowing up the engine. How did you actually get up, uh, end up getting involved in Robert Ludlum's universe and, and carrying on this legacy? It was, um, you know, uh, I would say... luck and, you know, (laughs) the rest being in the right place at the right time and knowing how to write a book. Um, I had gone down to BoucherCon, which is a writer's conference that they have every year. It's for crime and thriller writers, and it's not really – it's a great thing, but those types of things aren't like my scene, you know, as a fellow cop, you know, that you get kind of – I get – a little nervous, like when there's tons of people milling all around and you're just kind of yeah. up on this stage and talking and it's like, oh, I'm going to hang this target on myself. And I know that it's <laughs> perfectly safe, but those instincts are hard to, you know, shove away. And so but my good friend, Mark Graney, who writes uh, the Gray Man novels mm-hmm. and has written 
uh, for Clancy and other things. He invited me down there, and while there, I met um, his editor at Penguin, Tom Colgan, mm-hmm. and we talked about books, writing the craft. He had read my two books, and then I'd done some ghostwriting, and he, um, so he knew I could write a book, and he apparently thought that my style was good and fast and, you know, had the action for a book like this. So a week later, I got a call from him, and he said, hey, uh, there's uh, the Loveland Estate is starting up this new spinoff. It's going to be called Treadstone. Here's what it's about. Would you like to try out for it? And I was like, well, yeah, of course. And um, so I put together a quick kind of synopsis and uh, an outline and wrote about three chapters, about 50 pages, and um, sent it to him and the estate, and they liked it, and I got the gig. Now, I, I've talked to, to Mark Greeny and uh, Mark Cameron and, and Mike Madden about getting, you know, those phone calls and uh, also to Daniel H. Wilson about getting the call to carry on the Crichton series. And they all talked about that being such a double-edged sword that at uh, the one hand, it is such a tremendous honor and very flattering at the same time, terrifying now that you have to do this thing. It's like, I won. Oh shit. Now what? And I, I wonder what that call was like for you. Well, it, it didn't hit me all at once. It, you know, I kind of went into it blind, like, Oh yeah, I got this. And then <laughs> once they tell you like, you know, Hey, we need you to do this by this date. Um, it's kind of like if you're a minor league pitcher and all of a sudden you get called up to the Yankees and they're like, Hey, we need you to pitch game one of the world series. And you're like, Whoa, yeah. like, Hey, uh, <laughs> hold on now. And, um, you know, so you just go out and, um, you try not to be, you know, taking yards as it is. And it's, um, for me, I'd gotten a, a long time ago, um, some advice from an author, John Gilstrap, who's an amazing author, great guy. Fantastic guy. I don't even know if he remembers giving me this, but he told me, um, you know, you have, when your first book came out, you obviously had the skills to, you know, kind of pitch at this level or, you know, to be published at Mm -hmm. this level. And you got to dance with the one who brought you. You got to, you know, like we used to say in SWAT, you got to shoot your own game and, that's always stuck with me because there's always a tendency to try to color outside the lines mm-hmm. to do, you know, you want to push yourself, but um, I had to kind of learn the hard way that it's like, Hey, they brought me here because they believe in my skill. They like what I wrote. Mm-hmm. And if I was to go off script, that's not what they're looking for. You know, they're looking for what I do. And so you, I just had to like, Mark and these other guys had to do is you want to push yourself to put, you know, with every book you want to get better, obviously, but you don't want to be all of a sudden like, what in the hell is this guy doing? Like, what? I just thought I would use no punctuation and write totally in lowercase. Yeah. Is that not cool? (laughs) Yeah, it's stylish, right? The the marketplace is so crowded and there, there are so many fantastic authors out there putting out fantastic books. And I think there really is a lot of pressure to, you know, write to market or to write that, you know, um, mass published, um, fantastic book that appeals to everybody. But 
I think to me, uh, so much of this comes from kind of what you alluded to, right? Your own voice and your own experience and your own style. And that's, I think, what makes your writing different and makes it authentic. And I think if, you know, you tried to try to be Robert Ludlum, it would have ended up failing. But, you know, writing as Joshua Hood, it turns out you're pretty damn good at that. Well, yeah, nobody expects too much from Joshua Hood, you know. And <laughs> he's just a silly redneck from Tennessee. Like, it's pretty hard to, you know, they're just happy I showed up with shoes on. So they're... Uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I try to use that to my advantage. But, you know, one thing you said just a moment ago, you know, writing the market. The, uh, I launched my website recently, and before doing that, uh, I have a blog on there that uh, I call Under the Hood. And mm-hmm. uh, I wanted, you know, everybody's like, hey, you got to have a website, you got to have a blog. I'm like, all right, cool. But I don't like talking about myself. And so with the blog, uh, what I wanted to do and what I will do and I'm working on doing now is I wanted to give back to, you know, this writing community. Um, show, tell, I mean, there's so many misconceptions out there mm-hmm. about like how you go about getting published, uh, all these things. So I put out a couple um, blog type posting things on Facebook, whatever you want to call those. Um, like, hey, um, here's what I'm doing. I'm putting out a blog. Um, what I want to do is I want to ask everybody that has questions about getting published, writing, whatever, to send me their questions, and I'm going to go to the sources. If you've got a question about an agent, I'll go to an agent and get an answer. If you got a question about how to write, you know, like the gray man, I'll, I'll ask Mark, and maybe he'll answer, and those types of things. Mm-hmm. And the overwhelming questions that I got were how do you get published, how do you get an agent, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the sub-question was, what are your thoughts on writing the market? And, like, to me, um, I guess out there in the world, like, writing the market has become, like, a bad thing, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, that's what I'm just picking up from people I talk to in these questions. It's like, well, I want to write this book, and, you know, Basically, it didn't get published because I didn't write to the market. Or I want to do this, but the market's doing this, and why can't I get published? And um, just to like address that, I don't think writing to market's a bad thing. I mean, obviously, you know, you want to sell what you're writing, unless um, you know. So if I'm writing like a western with like cavemen and clowns, and I'm just like, well, I'm just being artistic. <laughs> I can't blame anybody when it doesn't get published. Um, And, um, you know, like what you said is exactly right. Anybody who wants to be successful, if they're not writing to the market, they're wasting their time because you're not trying to emulate anybody, but you have to write with a target and say, hey, they're buying these books. But what I think that confusion comes in is that you can't, remain true to yourself and write to the market. And I just don't believe that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that, you know, if you want to do this as a, as a professional, right, you obviously want to sell, you know, what you're, uh, what you're writing. And uh, to me, what, what most of that really means, I, I think is you know, kind of paying attention to where, what, what people are buying right now, they, they will always buy great stories. Um, but you know, for a while, right? Um, kind of like right now, if you 
have a, a, a techno thriller with Russia or China as the enemy, you're probably in pretty good company. You know, it's a popular thing to do right now. Um, a couple of years ago, you know, werewolf stories were really popular or just putting the girl in the title was really popular. Um, but always writing a fantastic story that people can relate to with three-dimensional characters, I think, and an original voice means more than anything else. But I think oftentimes people, writers, don't necessarily have the confidence to to write what they want to write and maybe shave it off a little bit to make it more palatable and sellable. I agree. And then when people ask me, hey, what advice do you have for a new writer? Um, my number one thing is just write. Because when we're talking about genre, we're talking about, um, you know, what are trends or whatever. Those are marketing saleable um, categories, you know, that they're put together by people that might not be writers. But, you know, if you look at a story, um, there's seven basic plots. And if you put yeah. a girl on a train, and you can call that whatever you want. You know, you can call it a thriller. You can have her have a computer, and she says, now it's a techno thriller. You put her in a uniform, <laughs> and now it's a, you know, a military thriller. But the story, the arc, the plot, that doesn't really change. You know, like if you have werewolves on there, then it's a supernatural thriller. And But you're still telling your story and your book is just how do we want to package this and put this out there? And I think a lot of people – that they consider genres and oh I want to write in this like it's a jail and you can't go out of that mm -hmm. it's just what you know the idea is to sell the books and it's kind of like you know if you open a snow cone shop in hell you're probably not going <laughs> to sell that much and um but you know at the same time it, it's just that doesn't that shouldn't hinder or you know be any type of excuse or anything like that for not telling the story that you want to tell because mm -hmm. everybody that i've met in publishing every editor um, they're looking for a good story and they will figure out what genre you're going to fit into but the first thing and the only thing is the story the writing and that's why i just say hey man just write in terms of writing and, and craft, most of the writers that I've talked to on the show have mentors in their lives who helped guide them either to writing or helped hone their skills uh, once they were there. I wonder if you had any such persons in your life. Um, I got quite a few. Um, I guess the closest thing to a mentor will be uh, a editor. He's a, what they call a story doctor. His name's John Payne. And, um, what happens, you know, for those who don't know how you go about getting a book published is you write the book, obviously, and then the next step is you have to find an agent now because most places don't accept what are called unsolicited manuscripts. So once you write it, your first kind of like litmus test is can I get an agent? So you send out these query letters and tell them who you are, what your book's about, give them a little synopsis, and if they want – if they're interested – um, they'll ask, like, hey, let me read the book. So I went through that whole thing and I uh, got 82 rejections, I believe it was. 
And along the way, you know, it's not like, hey, this is wrong because agents are very, very busy. It's So they don't have time to tell you like, hey, I'm paid, whatever, or you're not doing this right. But I did have one editor who took the time to be like, you know, you can tell a story, but you're not following the rules that an, a book should follow, which I didn't mm-hmm. know there were rules. You need to find right. a story doctor. And John Payne was one of the names given to me, and I called him, and he basically gave me a master's class in the span of three months about how you accomplish uh, taking your manuscript and fitting it into the rules of um, that make it uh, acceptable to be published, mm-hmm. I guess. And so after doing that, I did a rewrite. Um, the next time I submitted, I got you know accepted by an agent and then was able to sell the book. Well, he was able to sell the book within, uh, I think it was two or three days later, he sold wow. that book and a book I hadn't even written. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty fantastic pressure right there. Yeah. You know, there's no, uh, as far as, like, I don't believe, and I haven't met one yet, anybody who was born knowing how to do this 100%. Like, oh, I'm just going to write a book, first book, first agent. It was a thumbs up, and then I immediately sold it. Like, this is a craft, and more than that, it's also a profession. And so, you know, there's rules, and there's a lot of work that goes into um just getting to the position where you can get a really bad book published, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, uh, the, the thing about the, this industry, right. Is I, I think something that gets forgotten is that this is art and art is subjective and not everyone's going to have the same opinion on it. There's no hundred percent anything on rotten tomatoes or um, even universal love for any, any painting. And books are, are another form of art that not everyone's going to like. And if it's something that I think the writer is happy with and proud of and um, fulfilled by, I think that is kind of the, the end objective. But at the same time, if you're trying to do this professionally, you probably need to get you know your own story doctor and, and, and get those obligatory scenes shaped up. Yeah, we're not, you know, that's the thing is we're not selling OxyClean here, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't work on every stain every time. And, you know, there's going to be, um, pick any writer that you look up to and go to Amazon, look up his book, and go read the comments. I mean, you can <laughs> find someone who's like, a, you know, they, I mean, like, seriously, yeah. like, go look up the Bible and read the comments on the Bible, and people are like complaining about it. That makes no sense. This is a terrible story. The hero dies at the end, and you're like, whoa, um, you know, no spoiler alert or whatever. And, uh, it's just, you know, we have, like, moved into a society where we uh, – people have become, like, professional haters. Yes. You know, they just, like, don't have anything nice to say, and instead of just remembering what your mom said about if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, they're like mm-hmm. – I'm going to show this guy. I didn't like this book. I mean, I have a, a funny aside. Um, I, probably, I won't mention his name, but I have a friend who's an author, and somebody wrote him a one-star review because the book they bought from Barnes & Noble was missing two pages. And they were like, this guy <laughs> is the worst author. He's 
he skipped from age 250 to 254 and like or whatever it was and like i want my money back and like, he needs to send me a book and it's just kind of laughable when you think about it like yeah. this guy's a you know multiple new york times bestseller he's not like johan gutenberg down in his basement <laughs> like pressing books like yeah. hey but you're gonna give him a one star review because like a page fell out somewhere and like he tried to screw you and so it's just like wow where did common sense go yeah he obviously didn't do it on purpose yeah my my first one star review uh was on a digital only ebook and I got one star with just a comment about how many trees had to die for this. <laughs> yeah, it's like and that's part and parcel of what we do. I mean, mm-hmm. for me it's part, it's motivation. Um, you know, because sometimes I, I don't read reviews anymore. Um, but when I did, you know, sometimes people say something. They don't say it in the most polite way, and, and it's hard to tell because you're not looking at them face to face. Maybe they didn't mean, you know, maybe they punctuated it wrong, or you know, uh, maybe they meant to write "you're awesome," but just actually only wrote "you're an asshole." Who knows? <laughs> and yeah, um, it was autocorrect. <laughs> yeah, it was like auto exactly. But um, the thing is, is that sometimes they have a point. Yes. And I've learned a lot from, you know, my blood pressure doesn't allow me to really, uh, you know, I've matured as an author and as a person, so I don't really read reviews anymore because, like I said, you're not selling OxyClean. Someone's not going to like it, and that's what makes America great is that, like, hey, we love the good people and the bad people. Like, we do what we do as police officers and and the military, so you can say whatever you want to say. That's cool. That's America. But there are times when they're telling the truth, and it's just like you. I found myself getting upset for a second, and I was like, "Man, this dude's totally right." Like I did screw that up, and so it is a double-edged sword. Now I appreciate you bringing the uh, the cop in the military thing up again because one of the things I, I specifically wanted to talk to you about when you were when you started writing, and especially writing the Treadstone Resurrection, right, which is a you know about a a, a former spy. When I started writing my conspiracy series, one of the things that I found when I was putting together this kind of wish list of the things that, you know, I would expect that my uh, covert operative would need to know, the things he would need to to be able to get away with and, and accomplish. And when I started going down the list, I realized that most of my cop training between uh, patrol work and narcotics and some undercover stuff, and then the, you know some SWAT and sniper operations, had basically prepared me to be something of a spy. <laughs> and I I wonder how much research you actually had to do for this book. And I, I kind of suspect you probably knew all this stuff from from actually being the good guy. Well, I you know I I did a lot of research just to make sure that like I knew I guess like hey what would this guy be called. What would his title be? How does the CIA work here and there? Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, that's another thing that, like, I don't – speaking to the average per- people, I don't want – it could come across cocky, so I don't just say, well, yeah, it's what we do. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, I've worked narcotics. I've worked undercover. Uh, and the thing is, in the military, you're surrounded by a bunch of dudes, and you got close air support, and you got all this stuff. When you're on the mm-hmm. street, it's like it's you. 
Yeah. Um, you know, when you, you're doing a controlled delivery, when you're doing a dope buy, when you're, you know, doing uh, close target surveillance, when you're doing all this stuff, it's mm-hmm. just you out there. You don't have a net. And, you know, it's like one of the stupidest, it was an accident, but one of the dumbest things that I've ever done in my career was we were watching a suspect, uh, suspected like burglar or something. Mm-hmm. And he was like, they thought he worked at like a Dairy Queen or Dixie Queen or whatever. So me and my partner, like, you know, we, you know, scrote bagged up and we got in the old like undercover vehicle and, but it was a new truck and we had, I'd never used it before. And so literally we're parked in front of this like Gary Queen, there's, you know, the big glass and we look like a bunch of dirt bags and it is piece of junk. And I go to shift my leg and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, Hey, what's that sound? That sound. And I immediately knew what it was like, those are the lights, and I had bumped <laughs> the light, you know, uh-huh. they had this little panel, it, it wasn't the usual panel, it, was, it looked like a remote that control type thing that was on the passenger side, I didn't even see it, but I bumped it with my knee, and here we are sitting like on surveillance with the blue lights flashing, like, oh, we're burned later, <laughs> and um, and literally, that really happened. It was, yeah. you know, and the guys yeah. never let me hear the end of it. But you take a situation like that, and then you just say, well, what if I'd been in Beirut, and mm-hmm. the guy inside was a terrorist, and he had no problem stepping outside with his, you know, AK and spraying the car. And you got a scene right there. Yeah. So, well, I mean, it was exactly like you're saying. Like, people... You know, there was a time when being a cop was kind of a blue-collar job. It was like a respectable job. And now a lot of people look at cops like they're trash men, right? And it's just like, oh, you're not smart enough to be a mechanic. You got to be a cop. But, you know, and obviously we don't want people to know, like, the trade craft and the things that we are able to do. But Mm -hmm. it is very much like being a spy, except you're judged and – the rules that you have to follow are, I think, probably, a, well, I know, are a lot tighter, yeah. um, especially in this day and age. Yeah, it's, uh, in my experience, it's a, it's a job that requires a very blue-collar work ethic and a very white-collar mindset and attention to detail, you know, especially with all the changes in case law and the changes in, you know, how minute circumstance changes your legal abilities in the moment. Um, you know, it's not as simple as it used to be, you know, when, uh, you know, Andy Griffith and Barney Fife were, were running the show. And you have a target like on your back constantly. So, yeah. um, the, whatever post-traumatic, post-traumatic stress that I brought over from the military, um, you know, that gets amplified. Like people, you know, my wife, she understands now, but when we were first dating, she's like, why do you always have to sit facing the door? Why do we always have to sit in the crap spot? Why do we always have to park, like, over here, backed in, and, you know, all these things? And, you know, they just think you're, like, kind of a whack job. And then you explain, <laughs> like, yeah. hey, here's the deal. Um, there's this very thin veil that separates 
uh, my world from your world or our world from the rest of the world. And mm-hmm. I thank God that you can't see through that veil, but like my eyes were open a long time ago. And so when you're sitting here thinking, you know, uh, I can't wait for my drink to show up. I'm wondering if the dude just walking in with his pants hanging down, we got a tech nine down his pants, you know, yeah. and you look at me like I'm crazy, but guess what? I saw that two weeks ago down at, you know, the mm-hmm. pizza place. And so, yeah. um, once again, uh, I believe personally that some of the best storytellers and the most tactically proficient people that I've ever met in my life were cops. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's, and that was actually a kind of a, a long-term paranoia that my wife had, uh, especially after I started working in narcotics, right? She's like, you're a professional liar now. <laughs> you, you go to work and you lie about who you are and lie about what you do and you have to be convinced with it. She's like, what are you not telling me? I'm like, it's totally different. I can't lie to people I love and know. Like, that's totally different. Right. And my wife, you know, is like the most sophisticated lie detector test I've ever seen. Like I've beat real lie yeah. detector tests, but I cannot lie to my wife. Yeah, it's amazing. One of the long-running themes on this show is that it takes about a decade of blood, sweat, and tears to become an overnight success. And that, that's the truth. <laughs> and I, I would expect you probably have have some kind of similar timeline from when you first were inspired to write to eventually becoming the the the, the recognized bestseller and and that you are and about to have this Robert Ludlum book drop. Well, that's like the um, the most. It's it's kind of hilarious to me um, because no, I've never ever, and I've never found it. And I've never claimed to be a bestseller or a successful author. Um, like you know, you hear that, and I don't know if people just say like, "Oh, bestselling author," and I'm not trying to like cut myself down. I'm just being honest. Is that um, you know. I'm nothing special. I work very, very hard to get where I am. I work very hard on the craft, but, um, you know, having, being able to write for the Ludlum series is obviously the high point of my career, but, you know, it just goes kind of to show you that if you are proficient at your craft, you don't have to be a New York uh, Times bestseller. Like, in fact, the funniest thing that I have I've seen since I became a writer was when they announced that uh, I'd gotten this job, the Robert Lovem gig, and you know I was just—I'll uh, be honest—I was googling myself. I was like, "Hey, let's check this out," and I came yeah. across this review about—it's kind of like this pre-review for Treadstone, and the first line was, "Who in the hell is Josh Hood?" <laughs> and I have that framed on my wall because it's like, that's a great question. But, you know, it was like, how the hell did this dude get this gig? And I want to have like a shirt made like one day that says that because, um, you know, I, I've been very, very blessed. But uh, I'm I'm just a guy who's worked really, really hard at it and I'm still waiting for my kind of breakthrough overnight success moment. Obviously, like, I'll take what I got. This is awesome. I'm very blessed. But, you know, a lot of people think that, oh, you got to do this, you got to do that. And, you know, you're living the high life. Um, we are writing a Robert Lovell book and not necessarily, you know, we're talking about, once again, I'm a very blue collar guy. You're a very blue collar guy. And if you take pride 
and what you do and become a professional, you can reach those heights and have an opportunity like I do to write love on right now mm -hmm. without having to be the guy who sold like a hundred million copies. Yeah. You know, that's the biggest surprise. A lot of people are like, Hey, you've written two books that didn't sell particularly well. And now you're writing love on them. And you're like, yep. Um, <laughs> and they're like, well, would you blackmail somebody? And you're like, ah, I guess everybody else was busy. Yeah. Well, if, the, if I am blackmailing them, I don't think you want in on it. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that came up in the before we actually started the official recording for the show in uh, you know, your your work with uh, your your old SWAT team. Now, to me, my my old cop buddies are simultaneously the best fans and worst enemies that I have because everybody's a Type A personality. Everybody's hypercritical, right? And I wonder how long you were writing before your military and cop buddies knew about it. Um, well, I wasn't writing in the military, but I, you know, um, I enlisted right after college, which most people who go to college will become officers. I just enlisted because I wanted to be in the infantry. And so they're like, you went to college if you major in? And I was like, uh, English. What are you, Bill Shakespeare? And they <laughs> thought that was hilarious. And, um, when I started writing on the SWAT team, got my first book published, obviously the guys were, you know, proud, but the way special operations and cops are is like, you know, we eat our young. So it's like even a success <laughs> is like, yeah. you know, thank God you can write because you're a terrible cop. And you're like, oh, thanks, guys. And they love you, but, you know, there's no yeah. weakness that could be shown. And uh, my team leader and I would get into, like, you know, these verbal, you know how it is. You're just mm -hmm. sitting around and like, who are we going to mess with now? And, you know. Yeah. So what he would do that was hilarious is like I pissed him off so bad that he'd literally go to Amazon and he'd go to the one star reviews and he'd just start reading them out loud in the middle of the squad room and it's like you know he's like and I quote this guy is damn near illiterate how did he get published Josh Hood is the dumbest human being in the world he's like that's on the internet dude and I'd be like yeah thanks bud. <laughs> It's on the net. It must be true, right? Yeah, it's there forever. Like, people yes. are going to forever know you as this guy. You're like, oh, like you had to go there, did you? Now, if a writer who's listening to this, working on, you know, their next book or working on developing a, a character, a readership and fan base can really get behind. And let's say that you know, maybe they wanted to write a character about Josh Hood, who's you know, graduated from college, went into the 82nd, uh, became a cop, became a sniper. What would you want them to most get right about you? Well, first, I would caution them unless they wanted to have an extremely short career. They might want to pick <laughs> another character. Um, uh, uh, for me, I would say my work ethic. And, you know, there are times when uh, you know, in the Army, I didn't work as hard as I could, and there's times when I was a cop where, you know, people would say, hey, this guy, what does he do? Is he, like, a house mouse or what? Like, you know, but when it comes to writing, like, I have never given less than 110%, and um, it's something I take very seriously and something that I spend a lot of time alone doing, not only for my personal enjoyment, but also, you know, to support my family, but most important to 
make sure that I'm able to keep this contract that I'm making with the readers that mm-hmm. I'm always going to give you 110%. I'm never going to phone a book in and I'm always going to, you know, try to make sure this book is all killer and no filler. And I think a lot of people think that it's like this magical thing that every day you sit down and you have your word count and you hit it and then you're about your day doing whatever. And some days it's like, like yesterday, like I have a word count that I try to hit every day. And uh, my wife's like, why do you have trouble doing that? And I'm like, well, maybe it's, I want them to be good words. Like I didn't write 2000 <laughs> bad words, you know? And so a lot of days, like you'll spend eight hours, you'll hit or surpass your word count. Mm-hmm. And then you go back and read it. And by the time you're done editing, you're like 300 words. That's what I ended up with. Right now. And, um, so it is a lot of work. I, I, I don't think people um, understand until they get into it. Like, I don't know your personal experience, but if someone was to say to me, and I've never done this, but if someone was to ask me, what do you, what is writing like? I would say it's like heroin. I've never done heroin, mm-hmm. but I've seen a lot of people on heroin. I've seen people get dope sick. I've seen them when they're high or whatever. And I know that, like, when somebody's jonesing for, you know, their fix, they'll do just about anything. Mm-hmm. And I think writing is a lot like that. Like, you're constantly chasing this high that will never be as powerful as the first time you did it. Yeah. But you're addicted to it. And when you're not doing it, you're thinking about it. You know, <laughs> when you don't have a good day, you're, like, jonesing after that day where everything came easy. And, um that's kind of one of the things that I caution people about is that this is a fickle mistress that we kind of serve and mm-hmm. yes. you know she can be really nice to you one day and then other days you're just like you know I people talk about their muse and some people have all these great oh it's like this breeze or it's like this angel and like my muse is like that crusty old sergeant who's almost hit their 25, you know, who's about to pull a pin, just this angry bastard who's just like, comes into roll call and he's like, what are you guys doing? You know, sometimes he doesn't even show up at roll call. You're just sitting there like, oh, you know, and and that's the reality of writing is it's not always like these, the, the peaks, there's a lot of valley. There's a lot of times where you're like sitting there waiting for, the guy to show up and he doesn't. So you're like, well, I guess I'm going to go do what I normally do. And it's just not working right. And you're frustrated. And that's what I, that's a long way of answering your very easy <laughs> question. You gave me a softball and I said, you asked me what time it was. And I told you I'd build a watch. Now, one of the things that I, I like to ask of all the writers that come on the show, mostly because it's, it's fun for me. Um, I know writers are also pretty avid readers and i wonder if you have a a favorite fictional investigator that you read in uh, in books or you watch in tv or film i um was reading i can say this because it's true i was reading michael conley and bosch before um you know the tv show and everything and i cannot wait for a new one to come out and i'm constantly rereading the old ones because he gets it yeah. I love, you know, the old noir books, you know, Dashiell Hammett, the Multi-Salkin. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, the Marlowe series. Uh, I go back and read those. And 
those are a couple guys. Like I think that you know, what Michael Conley has done, just his sheer skill, makes he makes it look so easy. But when you start yeah. to break it down, it's like wow. Now, in in light of that answer, let's pray that this doesn't come to fruition, Josh. But if you were to wake up tomorrow and find that you've been murdered, would you want Bosch investigating your homicide, or would you take somebody else? I would definitely take Bosch because you know he's the kind of guy that would even give a he'd even look into an old redneck writer who who wanted to kill <laughs> this guy. He would actually, you know, um, everybody counts, right? Yeah, that's a great story. Like, if you think about it, like, mm-hmm. if you wake up murdered, what happens next? So that that's like a long line for like a, a book I would read. Hey, there you go, free inspiration right yeah. here. The uh, the last thing I I wanted to find out based on Treadstone Resurrection is that let's assume for a minute, Josh, that that your life has been ruined by your government service. And you're laying low, maybe, you know, working as a carpenter in rural Washington state. And uh, maybe a hit squad uh, comes after you. Jason Bourne, Alex Hayes, those guys aren't available. They're not answering the phone. Who do you call to put together a team to uh, get your revenge? I would, I would call the gray man. Uh, he is a very skilled operator, but... When I, I uh, you know, I'm not saying I just because I'm friends with Mark, but seriously, uh, I listened to I've listened to a few of the earlier Gray Man while working out, trying to get my mind in this Robert Ludlum type world. And mm-hmm. like his first couple of books are the only books that I have ever straight up gut laughed in the middle of the gym. It, I mean, he's so <laughs> funny. Like that character, Court Gentry, is hilarious. He was looking at me like, "What is this guy doing?" And I was like, yeah. "Oh, look, you gotta read it, man." And it's just, yeah. He just said, "Oh, you know, you wouldn't get it." Yeah, who who's the psycho on the Smith machine? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I greatly appreciate you coming on the show, Josh. I really appreciate your time, and I, I am very much looking forward to getting the uh, the Treadstone Resurrection finished. And uh, I think. When the, this weekend comes up, I'm probably going to have it burned through before Monday, man. I, I'm really excited. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, brother. See you. You've been listening to Writers on the Beach, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been Army veteran, police sniper, and full-time author, Joshua Hood. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.